my my main thought is this this is all bullshit. <laughs> any way you look at it, I think from any angle, uh, like bullshit. <laughs> the way he said it, it was not a like. That's bullshit. Yeah, it was. It was not a like New York, like a Brooklyn, like a Jersey kind of thing. It was. He's more, from Atoka. Yeah, it was. This this here bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Like, he's not wrong. Uh, <laughs> no. I mean, the whole thing is right. bullshit. Let's not think about the worst case scenario <laughs> because it's all on fire right now. Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I am one of your hosts. I'm Scott Nelson. I'm one of your hosts. We are the hosts. The hosts. This is all you get is us. This is the pod. Uh, not just today. Today we have some interviews with regular everyday people, which we'll get to in just a few minutes. Uh, so we're recording this on Thursday as the Senate JCAB meets. It is Thursday. It is Thursday at 439, and that is... Important because at 4.49, there may be something entirely new and unanticipated that has happened. If there's one thing we've learned this week, it's that things can change every minute. It's been, it's been, it's been one of those weeks. It's, you know, I think the week, the week um, started with the, the, the potential for kind of a flurry of activity. I think a lot of people were saying they felt like this was going to be the week that if anything was going to happen, you know, like it was, it was going to be now, um, and then really the the speed has just kind of picked up every day that's gone by for yeah, it's for been a, rapid developments. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's been a rough week, and so maybe a good place to start is to uh, jump back in where we left off last week, uh, and that was last week the Capitol was closed, nothing was happening, there was no one there, the power was off, and they came back, and we knew they were going to come back this week, and. Uh, Monday's always kind of a, a wash because they've got to allow time for rural folks to get into the city. And uh, and so they usually do something in the afternoon, some committee meetings. Gallivan like one or two or something. Yeah. And then we knew that it was going to be a big rally Tuesday morning. I, I And I, I, I wonder, actually, I wasn't able to, to go um, with work, but I was kind of looking at, you know, Facebook posts and texts from folks that were there. Um I don't know if people anticipated how big this was going to no, be. No, I don't I think mean, so. It was the biggest rally that I've seen at the Capitol. I mean, lines of like 30, 45 minutes just to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, I had two legislators tell me that they think they spoke with probably 100 people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like hundreds of people lined up in their offices um, advocating, you know, for for or events, uh, for or against kind of what's, you know, the, the package that was being offered. Yeah, so I think... Uh, from my observation, so I went, I arrived early. I got there at about 8.45 because I knew that it would be busy and I wanted a parking spot, mostly. But I didn't know that it was going to be that busy. And yeah, by 9.20, the fourth floor of the rotunda was full. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the seats were taken. People were standing around the edges. And the fifth floor, kind of overlooking it, started to fill up. And, uh, and, and then at some point, I know that they... Uh, blocked off the elevators. Some of the troopers were there. There was a lot of troopers there. And they blocked off people from going to the fourth and fifth floor and made them go on second and third. And then really for hours, there was, even as the crowd began to thin out, they moved the speakers outside, like the PA system, and tried to encourage folks to go outside. And people started filling the halls and doing office visits. There wasn't really much of a rally 
um, as far as speakers go. I think uh, Joe Dorman spoke and a couple other folks that I don't even know. And the acoustics in there are so terrible. You can't really hear yeah. anything. People clapped yeah. and cheered and that for was about a, it. For a place designed to be a public forum, it's a really bad place to have a public forum. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. It is good for seeing things. And that honestly was the the biggest crowd I've seen. Also, the, uh, the Behavioral Health Association of Tulsa, I think, was organizing it. And I believe they're the ones that brought some green hats. They had green hats made. Nice. I've not seen hats before. No, that was new. But I think uh, what we're doing is we're building the advocate's wardrobe. Right? So now I've got a hat. I've got a Let's Fix This t-shirt. Um, plenty of buttons. I've got a life vest. If someone wants to make uh, maybe some, like, shorts or some socks. Maybe we need some socks. I don't know what the, what the options are. You know, and it's important that depending on you, especially when it comes to your, when I, I can't speak for the green hats or the or the pink hats, honestly, but when it comes to your let's fix this advocacy wardrobe, you can you can wear that anywhere. I mean, the shirts they're nice, they're soft, they're comfortable, they're stylish. I have multiple uh, t-shirts. Do I you have, really? I do. I have multiple. I have one that I ex- explicitly and expressly wear to the gym, where I feel like it has multiple connotations. Right. Right. Like on the one hand, big picture, let's fix this, but also looking at me, let's fix this. <laughs> so you're when you're flexing in the mirror and you're trying to remind yourself of like I'm working on me I'm, and I'm the fixing state. It. That's you know, you're not the first person to say they wear their t shirt to the gym, which is interesting. Okay. So I think let's start with talking about what happened Monday and that was the governor's press conference where she announced right. A revenue package. Yeah. So it actually, you know, irony is a funny thing. Um, we had a minority leader, former minority leader Inman, uh, a few weeks ago. We'll get to the former here in, in a few minutes. Um, a few weeks ago, I had a press conference where he announced a budget deal. And then immediately afterwards was like, you know, all of this pushback from the governor's office, from Republicans in both the House and the Senate. Um, no. This, there's no deal. You, you know, there's no wedding when there's only one person at the altar, right? Right. Well, so Monday, Governor Fallon, along with uh, Speaker McCall, Pro Tem Schultz, came out and had a press conference where they announced a budget deal. And it was like, immediately after, all of the Democrats were going, Ahem. when you say deal, do you mean that you guys have put together a framework for revenue that you think is appropriate but will not be able to pass either house without the support of our caucuses because that's what it sounds like. (laughs) Um, Which, to be fair, that's actually a big deal because the House and Senate and the governor's office, none of the three of those have gotten along even within the same party. Yeah, they've not been on the same page So maybe we sold them short that that took some some negotiation to get to that point. Fair enough. A not insignificant accomplishment. But it did feel a little bit like, hey, look, we finally got all of us that are supposed to live under the same roof we are all in agreement. So here's where we're at. Take it or leave it. This is this is this is what's happening. Right. And I think that for reasons, you know, that I are not clear to me. I think they expected the Dems to 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 be like, okay, okay, fine. I guess we'll do. Which that. I don't know why they expect that from no. either party. No one should expect no. the other side just to roll over. No. Come on, this is 2017. Clearly, right. at this stage in the United States history. That's not how this works. Well, and they're both, I mean, and this is, I'm not, I'm not saying that either side is right from the policy perspective, but from a political perspective, 
both caucuses and in both houses, they have way too much invested at this point to just cave, right? right. I mean, like they have come this far towing the firm line. It's like, what do you think? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just gonna roll over now. Right. If they were gonna agree that easily, they would have done it in May. And right. We wouldn't be in this position. Um, they, there's no reason they should agree on this stuff anymore than I should expect my children to be ready when I say, hey, we've got to leave in five minutes. Right. They're not going to be ready in right. five minutes. Right. You know, it's, it's like you, you need to leave the house at 745. You start telling them that at 715. Right? At least. Like, right. The night before. <laughs> right. <laughs> there you go. Well, so, so the, the specific package they put out, um, several components, um, fuel tax, six, six cent per gallon fuel tax, dollar fifty per pack cigarette tax, um, a the beer the tax. beer tax on three point two beer, which only is going to exist for like another year. Right, because right now three two beer is just a sales tax that's considered a grocery item, and so it doesn't have a separate liquor tax right. like high point beer, liquor, wine, all that does. And it's like a fifteen point something percent. So it would just next year when the laws change, it'll all be considered beer alcohol, yeah. and it'll all be the fifteen percent. They're just speeding that up a little bit. Um, additionally, there was a restoration of the earned income tax credit, which is a little bit kind of into the weeds to talk about what that is. But essentially, it's a tax credit that pre- predominantly benefits folks that are at the lower end of the income spectrum. And you have to be working. It's right. for working adults uh, or, um, that make under a certain level. And it's a, a deduction or a tax credit when you right. file your, your taxes. It's a federal credit. It's also a state credit. Right. And in 2016, they removed... The piece that was like made it refundable, which means it basically it capped how much you could claim. Right, exactly. So a restoration of the EITC and a one thousand uh, dollar across the board raise for state employees mm-hmm. and a three thousand dollar across the board raise for teachers. It's important to know because this is uh, the reason I say it's important is because it's a big difference in how much this costs. This was a three thousand dollar guaranteed raise for every teacher in the state, not a three thousand dollar increase to the minimum salary right it's just a big bump right moves everybody up which is good absolutely i mean there's a you know when you start slicing and dicing down on that there's a lot that could change um today i met with some people from uh, new york and california and boston they were it was the um, some of the uh, board members for an organization called generation citizen which is a they do civics education for high school students great organization um and they they recently expanded to Oklahoma last year, and they were asking a lot of questions about Oklahoma politics, and you can see them all like asking really serious, like interesting questions, and they were fascinated by the history of Oklahoma up to this point, and wondered like, why do we do happened? the yeah, why do we do the things we do? And I was like, well, you see, Oklahomans don't like government ever, any level, and it's tough to govern. At all levels. Yeah. So. Uh, Ashley and I, uh, we recently were on vacation uh, out of the country. We were in Canada, uh, in Vancouver. Hey. If you've if you've ever been to Vancouver, you should go. Everyone should go. I hear it's wonderful. Uh, it's fantastic. Really I mean, lush and gorgeous. It's it's gorgeous. Much like my hair. The, I mean, a different kind of lush. No, <laughs> yes. it's not. It's not more or less lush. Uh, it's just different. Um, no, beautiful scenery, amazing people, um, great food. But it was kind of funny though because everywhere we went, people said, "Oh, you're you know you're from the states." We'd say, yeah. And they say, where are you from? We'd say, Oklahoma. And I mean, nine times out of ten, we just kind of got this look like, oh, that's in the middle. That's interesting. Right. <laughs> I don't know where that is. <laughs> Isn't that one of the, that's one of the really, really red places, right? Right, right above yes. Texas. Yes, oh, sure. Yeah. That's, right. as someone who's from Texas, here I will say, you can go to any country in the world and say you're from Texas and they know where that's from. Is that because all the people from Texas are jackasses? Hey, now. <laughs> 
Not all of us. Only some of us. Well, we're we're getting somewhat sidetracked here, which is which is entirely my fault. I just I you know I think I think it's you know the this was the deal deal air quotes um, that was announced on Monday revenue package. My initial thought was, okay, we're supposed to be raising money for the budget hole. I'm again, as we know from previous discussions, I'm not so great at the new math, but. Restoration of the earned income tax credit, a $1,000 teacher pay raise, and a $3,000 teacher, a $1,000 state employee raise, and $3,000 teacher pay raise. Those all seem like things that would cost money, potentially a significant amount of money. So, what the hell, right? How are we, we, we're already short and getting shorter every day because every day that we're not collecting revenue because of the unconstitutionality of these measures. Like every day that goes by, we need more to make up the hole. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And now we're spending more on top of it. What's the like? I don't see how the math works out. The short right. answer is that the math actually doesn't work out. Um, but I uh, engaged with some folks um, on social media this week, kind of asking this question, like, "Hey, is anybody asking what what the hell? Like, where's where's this going?" And the short answer is that the revenue that comes from the revenue that will come from the the measures that are in the bill so taxes on cigarettes taxes on alcohol and a fuel tax is going to be combined or the thought was that it's going to be combined with what's called carryover funds carryover funds that are unanticipated monies left over from the last fiscal year as well as some funds like 83 million or something from the rainy day fund and together that whole package would kind of fund the whole plus the teacher pay raise and the state employee raise. The unspoken part of this is that it still would require cuts to some agencies, like 17% cuts. Um, 17? Not 17%, 17 like million. million in cuts that have to come. Spread from, out across the, all the agencies, um, which would be a tiny amount. And still leaves us, though, with a significant hole for next year because this doesn't yeah. fund any of this stuff for next year. And I don't know there's a way to avoid that right. based on – well, there's plenty of ways to avoid it, but none based on what they're proposing. So Not- Noticeably absent from this uh, – proposal was any increase in the gross production tax on oil and natural gas. Right, which has been a hot hot button issue, but it's not the only option. I just want to say this real quick. Absolutely. GPT, gross production tax, has been the issue that everyone keeps talking about, and the Republicans are sick of hearing about it, and I think the Democrats are sick of saying it. And, But it's not the only thing. Like, There's also the um, uh, uh, repeal of like the capital gains exemption, Hundred million dollars, right there. They could add a, um, they could do the combined corporate reporting, which hasn't been discussed in special session. It was discussed back in May. Income taxes. They could, yeah, they could reinstate the previous income tax rate for all of us. Which arguably, regardless, what got us into this mess in the first place. Well, what got us into this mess, and 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 regardless of kind of where you sit politically on oil and gas, and when I say where you sit politically, I mean from an environmental perspective, from a tax perspective, corporate welfare, regardless of all of that, it is is a really, I think, easy to make the policy case that income taxes are a better way to address the shortfall that we face than GPT. Um, Because GPT is more... So variable. Yeah. It's volatile. I mean, it's not so volatile. I mean, it is of the ways that you could try to address the shortfall, it is a much more volatile revenue stream than income tax. Right, because if something goes sideways with North Korea, gas prices are going to change almost instantly. Right. Think about when 9-11 right. happened. Suddenly, people were gouging everyone at the pump. Like, things change. Right. Not that prices uh, the, the pump uh, affect uh, GPT, but... Iran deal? Anyone heard of the Iran deal? 
Uh. Or when uh, when Saudi Arabia goes public with Saudi Aramco, which is their their it's a initial public offering IPO, biggest of the, oil company in the world, our biggest company in the world. Yeah, and it'll be the largest IPO in history. When that happens, that's going to have a huge impact on markets, and so we'll just see. Anyway, what you're saying is income tax across the board is and again, pretty regard, stable, regardless of the politics. That's arguably a better policy. They could, and we are due for income tax reform in a major way in Oklahoma. They could really structure it so that it's graduated so that lower incomes pay a lower percentage and higher incomes pay a higher percentage, which most people feel is fair. Um, even folks at higher income are like, I don't want to pay more, but I get that like I make 280000 Maybe I should pay a little bit more you know, proportionally. Which is not a new idea, by the way. Like I, I love to hear from people that like, oh my gosh, this is what all these new leftist liberals want a progressive income tax. No, uh, actually go back, read Wealth of Nations, Adam Smith, Scotland, 17, like 87, I think. Read the book. It's in there. Progressive income tax. <laughs> Literally the seven, father of capitalism said that this is how the tax structure should work. Say 1787? I think so. So back at the very, very beginning. All right. Um, so also what happened earlier this week was the big rally on Tuesday. Uh, so after the kind of budget deal, quote, uh, agreement on Monday, that really gave people something to advocate for or against. And so Tuesday there was this rally at the Capitol that was organized by the Behavioral Health Association of Oklahoma. We might have even mentioned it last week in the podcast. And there were so many people that there were tons of folks I knew that I didn't see. I just saw their photos later that they were there, and I thought, that's crazy. Uh, and so I stood on the fifth floor for a lot of it and kind of watched people milling around on the fourth floor, saw a lot of legislators talking to people down there. And what was interesting was that uh, you could he- overhear conversations, and there were a lot of folks that had never been to the Capitol before. That's always interesting to me. But but good for them. Right? Yeah, for I mean, sure. And the other deal is that everyone's there for the same reason, right? Everyone wants to protect funding, and they want no cuts to the Department of Mental Health, no cuts to DHS, and no cuts to Medicaid. And a lot of those things kind of intersect. But after that, after that piece of agreement, people didn't necessarily agree on what to do. And that's why we're in this position is that I think legislators are in a tough spot, right? There's oh, a lot of folks that are low income that receive mental health services, but and they have very low income and they don't want to pay more for cigarettes. Uh, they don't want to pay more for gas because it's a bigger percentage of their income. And so there were... I, you know, I don't, I didn't survey everybody, but I felt like there were almost equal numbers of people advocating for and against this budget plan. Most people were for it, I think, because they're like, this is the only option out there. You've got to support this to to not have cuts. But a lot of people also didn't. They want the budget hole to be filled, but not this way. Right. That's definitely the sense that I get. Um, you know, from again looking at social media, and then again talking to talking to some legislators in the last you know last twenty four hours, I think I think that one they were surprised by the number of people. Two, I think they were surprised at how evenly um, divided. I mean, I, I talked to to a couple to, to two in particular um, that you know I think went into went into Tuesday having heard the revenue proposal and were kind of set on their position. Right. You know, I this is how I feel about this. And then met with, you know, hundreds of people on Tuesday, some their direct constituents, some not, and left those meetings thinking, wow, like I really I really need to be I, I need to think about this more. It doesn't nece- it doesn't it doesn't necessarily change my mind, but it's got me thinking about it. It's got me thinking, you know, that I need to switch this way or I need to switch that way. Um, 
which I, th- I thought was interesting and is, is a testament to the fact that, you know, the, the power of the people is a real thing. Like you go yeah. up there, you go up there and they listen and it matters. You can change their minds. Um, and I know meeting with 100 people sounds like a lot and it is a lot, but we're talking to people who represent 30 or 40,000 Oklahomans. I mean, 100, 100, that's a fraction, right? Right. Like a, like a fraction of a district can sway an opinion. Right. In a way that matters. Right. And I, I mean, it was really pretty encouraging to see so many people lining the halls, not being jerks about it either, just being like, hey, I want you to yeah. support this or not support this or just fix the hole or something. Right. Um, and the deal is, like, not everyone has the same level of understanding or knowledge or expertise, but they've got passion. And that's the part that's kind of exciting. Like, and, and that's, I, mean, I think that's kind of what we at Let's Fix This try to do is to help people who are passionate, even those who are dispassionate, help them find their passion. But like, come and be like, let's, what do you care about? Why do you care about it? Okay, here's what's out there and like help them understand a little bit more about what's going on. And so I had several conversations uh, with, I, I was talking to a woman who was there for the first time and she said she'd been there for 30 minutes and her chest was still pounding because she was anxious about being in the Capitol. And she kind of felt like she was kind of getting in trouble or doing the wrong thing. And I was like, no, no, like you own the building. This is our place. This is the people's house. And she really just opened up about her story of being involved with DHS and mental health services and struggles with, within her own family, her and her husband, and uh, you know abuse and how things had kind of gone on. And the real value she found, it was actually a really positive story about DHS, which you don't hear often. And I was like, man, let's go find your legislator because they need to hear this very important, very personal story about how the system is working when it, as it's supposed to. And uh, did she, you record any of this conversation? No, because it was <laughs> I. I talked to her afterwards and asked her, and right. um, but she, she had really she just was, divulged. And it was, yeah. I mean, it was honestly really personal. And um, I talked to a few other folks that we'll hear in just a minute. But that was, I was an honor. To kind of hear her story and be like, you know what, like let's go find your person because you just so told cool. told three strangers, yeah. and um, we were That's all so cool. We're all therapists, which is probably why she opened up. But you know, I mean, we love to like we love to reference uh, we love to reference West Wing and West Wing Weekly on this show. I mean, this brings to mind there's a uh, an episode in the first season. I want to say it's episode three or four. Yes, I watched too much West Wing. Um, when Charlie, uh, who becomes uh, the body man to yeah. the president, shows up for the first time, and he's watching the president give a press conference in the Oval Office. Um, and uh, one of the other characters, Josh Lyman, leads up to him and, and says, hey, man, this feeling you have right now, like, it doesn't go away. Right. I've never watched a president give a press conference in the Oval Office, so I can't say what that feels like. But I think that feeling of, like, at least for me, um, and it's not anxiety so much anymore, but that, that feeling of, like, of going to the Capitol, like, talking with, you know, legislators, talking with lobbyists and and – feeling like I'm, you know, having an impact. Like for me that feeling doesn't go doesn't it doesn't go away. It gets, in fact it gets, it gets better every right. time I go. And to hear someone else, like to hear that story of someone going for the first time and really just opening themselves up in this incredibly vulnerable place in right. spite of all that. Like I really I don't know who her legislator is. I don't know what she talked about. I don't I don't know what she said to them, but man, I hope that I hope that for her that's a feeling that doesn't go away and only gets better. She said afterwards that she felt like her legislator um, listened to her and really was kind of, you know, he took time to listen to her and hear her story and 
get some good feedback, which is also encouraging. Um, and the other thing that I think is really cool just about us, and I'm always amazed at all of our events. We've Almost every time we have about half of the group is there for the very first time. We get some repeat folks that come back because they want to be like kind of involved, but every time. And I kept expecting there to be like a diminishing returns, but I always have people raise their hands and always half the group is like, no, it's my first time. And so for me to get to like meet them and say, thank you so much for coming. What can I do to help you show up is, uh, is truly an honor. So maybe on that note, let's shift over, uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to listen to um, some interviews that I did with people that were there at the rally on Tuesday. The Behavioral Health Association of Oklahoma organized a rally this week on Tuesday at the Capitol for advocates and people that are receiving services funded by the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, by DHS, and by Sooner Care, which is Oklahoma's Medicaid program. And so I took the day off work to go to the state capitol to visit with some of these representatives, some of these consumers that are directly affected by these services, and to see what their sentiment was, what they're talking to legislators about, what they're feeling, what they're hearing, and maybe what they're hoping to see happen. When I first arrived at the Capitol, I went up to the fifth floor to kind of overlook the rotunda and watch as people arrived, kind of see the crowd filling in. And while I was up there, I ran into a familiar face. Michelle Hastings. Um, I'm a supervisor with Child Welfare. I first met Michelle several months ago at the OU School of Social Work when I spoke to her class uh, where she was pursuing her MSW. And I wanted to find out what brought her to the Capitol during this rally. I'm here today to um, hopefully encourage and influence our legislators to come up with a reasonable and uh, achievable budget plan. Um, because I think that the cuts to mental health services and those related um, are terrifying. I'm in my household. We represent not only child welfare, but also law enforcement. And I think that that is terrifying to both disciplines. Um, I think those related to child abuse, um, we could all agree on, but I think even in the bigger picture, that um, the potential for more volatile exchanges between law enforcement and the untreated mentally ill are going to be tragic and impact um, our state in a way that none of us want to see. And it concerns me then that the discipline of law enforcement is going to be held accountable for that, um, unfortunately, because that's who's seen instead of um, all of the impacts and the cuts that we're potentially facing. Having worked in the mental health field here in Oklahoma for about 15 years, I expected I might see a number of familiar faces today, and that definitely held true throughout the morning. After I spoke with Michelle, I went downstairs to the fourth floor when the crowd was really growing uh, to a pretty significant size, and I ran into another familiar face. Paula Porter, President and CEO for Woven Life Intergenerational Learning and Care. I am here on behalf of uh, services for children and adults with disabilities. Um, our adult day are in major peril right now. We're at the risk of um, losing all of our funding from DHS. So that would affect about 30% of our adult day population. 
There are only 27 adult days in the state of Oklahoma, and um, many of those will be forced to close down, forcing citizens into nursing homes. Families will be forced to lose their jobs. You probably would even have some deaths from this. Um, you have people who really have no other means and no other place to go, and this is their only hope at independence. I asked Michelle and Paula both what they, as constituents, as voters, what they thought should happen and what they felt like their legislators needed to hear from them. Um, I think that we should look at, honestly, I think we need to look at engaging and holding um, more responsible um, the energy partners in our state. Um, instead of impacting, again, um, those who are maybe lesser fiscally um, ept, then um, they need to be a part of, of the solution and not be excluded um, from responsibility. Um, for the representatives in the district that represent Woven Life, so that's our people, I would say please find revenue. Please find revenue. I don't care what your options are, for God's sakes. Just find revenue and protect our services, protect our people, protect Oklahomans, and know that if you don't think this is going to affect you, this will affect you somehow. It may not affect you right now personally, but it will it will affect you somehow. So you may as well buck up and find some revenue. When I asked her what she felt about the rally itself, Paula had some really positive words. Amazing. Oklahomans are amazing. And they know that there are options out there and they're pleading, begging people to listen. Oklahomans are amazing and we care about our people, we care about our services. And I, this is probably the most amazing thing I've ever seen. With the crowd size in the thousands, not everyone could fit in the Capitol. So I went outside to see who was hanging around. Uh, Joe Beth Hammond, Education Coordinator at Mental Health Association, Oklahoma. So today's been the big rally here at the Capitol. What'd you think? It was a really great turnout. It was nice to see so many people show up. It just is sort of unfortunate that we had to get to this kind of level of crisis to have so many people bus in from rural areas or Tulsa um, to kind of come put pressure on legislators. Um, and from most of the conversations I've had with people about what their conversations were, it was either that they weren't available and they just had to leave them a card saying, here's what I want you to do, or um, it was just people saying that they have to vote for this uh, bill as is with no, nothing that really looks to the long term. It's kind of, it seems like it's all a stopgap. Sure. What do you think the consequences would be if these revenue measures don't pass? Some pretty bad stuff. Um, I've heard from a lot of people that um, there are folks that they serve that they think will die or end up in jail um, or pr worse prison. Um, I know I was just talking with someone that works for drug courts in Lincoln County and they're like, most of my people like are sort of half joking, but saying they're going to like beat the you know beat the path because like they got to get out you know they if they if they don't get to stay in drug court that they're going to end up in prison and it's just so many steps back for them what do you tell folks that are in that position what do you how do you guide them or instruct them with what they should say um <laughs> uh that's a tough go question for it, i guess <laughs> i mean yeah it's like what do you tell people i mean um there's just nothing to say like i honestly like i would most of those people don't probably even have the resources to actually do that is the unfortunate thing. Like they don't have the resources to go to a different state to get better services. Um, 
and they're trapped here because they're connected to these services that are just dwindling and are already overburdened. So there's just really like nothing productive to say to them except that it sucks. Man, that was so cool to listen to. Yeah. Like that was just, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I like we sit here and we do the pod and I love it because this is what I love to talk about. You like podcasts. And I do have a weird obsession with podcasts. Um, but it's, it's just so cool to hear, to hear other people talk about like that they're passionate about this stuff too, why they're passionate about it, like what they think, what they're advocating for. I mean, for me personally, from like kind of from my perspective, they're 100% right in what they're advocating for. I mean, right. to hear somebody who, you know, a social worker who's married to a police officer talk about, like, what the hell is this going to do? Like, Well, they see both sides of yeah, it. Yeah, right. Like, my, my, I love my husband, and he's a great police officer, but he's not a mental health worker, and we shouldn't ask him to do that. Right. And he's right. that's what we're asking him to do if we don't do this. Um, you know, hearing... Um, uh, about like adult day that program used to be called Easter Seals. I'm not going to repeat the the, the, new, name, the, right. the new name of it, but I don't know if people realize. But if they lose their funding, that's she said that many of our adults, or most of them, would be forced into nursing homes. Most of their adults, that number equals ten thousand people, and forced into nursing homes means you know they would no longer be able to go to the center during the daytime so because they need constant care they would have to go to a nursing home where they can get it a skilled nursing facility oh by the way if these cuts that we're talking about go through those skilled nursing facilities won't exist anymore um, because they will not be able to stay open with a nine percent medicaid cut because the vast majority of skilled nursing facilities except patients who are on medicaid um, so that's going to be ten thousand people that literally literally have nowhere to go. Right. And that's, I mean, it really is a worst case scenario for this. Um, I've known Paula for a number of years. She was someone I met on old Twitter back when Twitter first started. Um, when we just, Hey, 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 when as, we, a, as a relatively newcomer to the Twitterverse, <laughs> I reject your, uh, attempts at segregating Twitter. As, as I said the other day, back when Twitter, when we just made new friends instead of insulting strangers, that was a great um, quote. And, that's really what happened. I have a lot of friends from that, but she, I mean, she works really hard and I, the, for me out of the three interviews, the one that I like the most, I think is that piece at the end where she says she was so impressed that Oklahomans showed up for this rally. And that it, that I think that shows the resolve and the grit that Oklahomans are known for since the dust bowl to now and how we are resilient and we try to overcome obstacles like our government absolutely uh, and that as much as i do worry and i feel some doom and gloom on occasion uh, i think that that kind of optimism is maybe that's the kind of things that we need to like just to stoke our fire to keep us going absolutely and it also reinforces both their comments and the number of people that showed up at the capitol on tuesday you know i i I think that we, uh, let's fix this, I shouldn't say I think, I hope that we do provide some measure of inspiration for people, but I hope that even more than that, we we help people realize that they're already passionate about this stuff. Right. Right? Like, like the thing, like, there are people that say, oh, I don't really care about politics, I don't really care about what happens. 
No, you you really do. You just don't know it. Well, you just have to you just have to find the issue. Right. So today I uh, I ran into local artist Jack Fowler today around lunchtime, and he was painting the window at uh, Black Centilla, a little retail store over in Midtown. His Twitter feed cracks me up. Um, and so Jack, uh, I I I think Jack's a misunderstood guy, but he I really like. I've known him for a few years, and he um, is someone that you kind of get what you pay for with him and he's a straight shooter which i appreciate and he i think he fancies himself a bit of a sage and he said you know what i appreciate what you're doing and i he's like because you're doing something that let's fix this is trying to do something and you're trying to get other folks to do something he said he's a bit of a nihilist phase right now where he's you know sometimes he doesn't care if it burns or if it lives but it's an easy place to be in oklahoma right, right that's now. exactly what i said i was like man i get it you know and so he's doing i think i like said a, that the last two weeks yeah he's doing a he's doing a like an art installation on their window there and he he's like you know what i he's like i'll come out of it but right now i appreciate folks like you that are trying to do something i was like well i mean this, it's not just me it's a whole bunch of people and we just haven't given up yet um and there's because because the the giving up is unconscionable. Like I just I get it, but like I just can't do it. And and I think that there are I'm willing to bet that there are hundreds or thousands of other Oklahomans that are out there at home and they're complaining on Facebook or Twitter or they're telling their spouse about it at night. They read the news story and they're super angry about it and they don't know what to do. And I'm here to tell you, like, you can be involved. Absolutely. You may not feel like your phone call or your email makes a difference, but I guarantee that it does because no matter how much you hear, almost no one does this. Right. Well, and and the thing is, even if you don't, you you know, Andy, you and I, we follow this stuff obsessively. Right. We're the because, high end of being involved. Yeah, and, and we do that because I mean, one, we're we're passionate about the issues, but two, I know for me this is just something that kind of from an almost almost kind of from a detached perspective, it just fascinates me. Like, I really enjoy right. I enjoy it. But but for both of us... Being involved... Go, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, say, I'll go first. For me, we, we both work in um, jobs where we see the impact on everyday, regular Oklahomans... Oh, absolutely. ...who don't have any awareness of what's going on. Right, right. But it impacts them so deeply and... You got to do something. Whatever you can, you've got way more power than you think right. you do. Well, and 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 I think that one thing that gets intimidated that, that people get intimidated is they say, "Oh, well, I mean, I can't be involved because I can't check my Twitter feed that often or I don't want to have a Twitter feed or I don't have time to make a podcast or I don't have time to blog." Or you don't have to do any of that stuff. All you have to do is just show up and talk pick up the phone, send an email, show up to the Capitol one time. That's literally all you have to do because I promise there are plenty there are plenty of us who follow this stuff obsessively that that can help you know what the impact is. If you have any doubt about the impact, I mean just look at what's happened at the Capitol this week. Right. If you watch Speaker McCall's press conference on Wednesday, I mean we've been in special session for 4 weeks, but that press conference yesterday he was a different guy, and I'm not. And I'm not. I'm not here to comment on good, bad, agree, disagree. I'm just saying, you look at the exchange he had with reporters. You look at the exchange that he had with Representative Williams. I mean, these guys are feeling the pressure, and I think that the pressure got turned up to another level yeah. after the rally on Wednesday. I agree, and I think you know one thing that's difficult. And I spoke with the the board from Generation Citizen today. We had this conversation of someone asked, 
how does it different? Like, what's it like in rural Oklahoma versus, you know, urban Oklahoma? And I thought, this guy's been here for like five minutes, and he already understands that this is a huge divide. Absolutely. And that the people in Atoka from uh, from Speaker McCall's district, they are they're distant. Like they they probably aren't as involved as like you and I could be because we're right in the street. But uh, and so you know that's part of what we want to do is to reach out to rural areas and get those folks involved and show them that that they have a voice because a phone call from Atoka weighs way more than a phone call from Oklahoma City when it comes to Speaker McCall. Absolutely. Or, uh, you know, to, I mean, and, the, and and I think it's also, it's important to note that there is rural representation on, you know, both sides of the aisle. Um, right. You know, Representative Copeland uh, from Beggs, Oklahoma, which is... Population 1,000. 1,310 as of the 2010 <laughs> census. Uh, yeah, I know the population of Beggs, Oklahoma off the top of my head. You just... How about them apples? You just Googled it. Well, you know, they didn't know that. <laughs> Uh, you, you know, um, that's, you know, he's, he's, uh, going to be, I, th- I think it's kind of the heir presumptive to Scott Emmon as minority leader of the democratic caucus, he's the caucus chair. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, he's from obviously a very you know, small, uh, rural town, um, and answers, I, I would suspect to probably a pretty similar, con- similar constituency. constituency, uh, as speaker McCall, mm-hmm. but they find themselves on different sides of the aisle, but the issues are the same, you yeah. know? And so, yeah, I think. Um, so that was my takeaway from those conversations at the Capitol this week was that um, three very different people, um, one from Tulsa um, and then a couple from here in Oklahoma City, and they all kind of said the same thing was like, you know what, like they're just terrified of what these cuts look like. And and I think everyone is conflicted. And I really, I'll be honest, like I really empathize with the legislature. Absolutely. And what they're facing. Like, so, you know, I... Um Last night, spoke with several with several several of the members, um, and was pretty struck. I think um, at their level of just, I'm trying to even think of what the best word because it because it's because it's part frustration, but it's not only frustration. It's part fatigue, but it's not it's not only fatigue. It's um, I think they're just they're they're kind of they're at the end of their rope. You know, I think, yeah. I think that this is really starting to take a toll, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, which is which is one of the reasons I think that we may be seeing some movement. I mean, even as we speak, you know, today on Thursday, uh, the Senate passed uh, Senate resolution on a one X, I think, one zero zero X, that basically said, "Hey, the Senate supports including gross production tax as part of the proposed revenue package at four percent." Uh, didn't specify the time frame, which is a little bit of an issue. Um, here in the last hour and a half or so, the House Democratic Caucus said, "Yeah, we totally agree. Um, we're willing to talk about this as long as we're as long as as long as gross production tax at four percent for some amount of months is on the table as part of the revenue package. We're willing to have a conversation." Um, I haven't heard from the House or I haven't seen anything come across the wire, and when I say wire, I mean Twitter. Um, about what the House R's are thinking yet. Um, John Eccles has made a statement saying he thinks it's something they can talk about. Um, Senate JCAB is wrapping up right now, uh, passing a series of measures of the so-called Plan B. This is just um, measures that would only take 51 votes that kind of reappropriate some funds. They repeal some tax exemptions, uh, stuff that the majority can do on their own. Um, but 
we are seeing, I think, for the real, like real, real good or bad, we're seeing real movement for the first time in the uh, extraordinary session, um, and I think that that's why. I think that I think they're I think they're feeling the heat. Yeah, I agree. So right now, as we, as we record this, the House JCAB is um, basically hearing the Plan B scenarios where they would be uh, repealing some tax exemptions related to things we're already talking about, fuel and whatever. Um, as I as I look at my Twitter feed while you're talking, um, I see that there's already questions about constitutionality. I don't really know what they're talking about. Um, there's like some kind of fuel issue, uh, but that does make me nervous. So uh, maybe right now, as we wind down, Scott, uh, and we kind of face the end of our uh, of this episode, it'll be exciting to see what happens this evening. I have to go to class. You've got to do whatever you got to do tonight, um, and we'll see what comes out of this JCAB meeting tonight. I see you shaking your head. Yeah, no, I mean, um, <laughs> I really, honestly, I hope um, that a week – well – Here's what I hope. I hope that it's not a week before we record another episode. I think, you know, if we get a budget deal, if something major happens, you know, yeah, you'll, we'll hear, do a... you'll, you'll hear from us uh, an emergency pod, if you will. Uh, you'll hear from us between now and then. One thing, I've, I, we don't need to get into this at all, but just so that we're all kind of knowing um, or all on the same page. You've heard me mention a couple times presumptive uh, Democratic minority leader, um, uh, Representative Scott Inman of Dell City, who has been the... Um, minority leader of the Democratic Caucus for several years, has served 11 years in the state legislature, uh, resigned his seat yesterday, and also uh, has uh, declared that he was no longer a candidate for the governor of the state of Oklahoma. Um, he has cited some ongoing issues with his family. There's really not, yeah, I don't have any more uh, information at that time. We're kind of watching uh, media and reporters and talking to folks pretty closely to see if anything is breaking, but we haven't heard anything else at this point. So no, you know what? Like people's personal business is their personal, it's their personal business. business. Absolutely. My, I, I'm, I'm not saying that it, that it works out in your favor if you're running for office, but like we got, I'm more concerned with the fact that 200,000 Oklahomans might lose access to services. No, I'm 100% with you. I just felt like it was a, because we've, you know, we've talked about leader Inman and like his leadership of the caucus previously. And I've, I've said a couple of times today, like, I think, you know, kind of insinuating that he's not really in the mix anymore. So I just felt like it's so it not. Yeah. So I just, I, I just, that the, uh, the, that's why, uh, is that right. he's, he's, uh, and he'll be resigning his seat effective January, um, yeah. January one. And, you know, and I think it's an important thing to bring up because, uh, he is a very, I think has a very different leadership style than representative Copeland. Um, I don't know, we see a shift in what this looks like for the Democratic Party. I mean, I don't, I don't know if we will or not. So, uh, Representative Copeland has come out and basically said, like, no, like her position is the same. Um, it may look different, but it's mm-hmm. it's the same. I don't know if it what it portends or anything for, for negotiations. But no matter who is at the table, my hope is that you're hearing from us on the pod um, sooner than next Thursday because that should mean that we've got a deal. Which, as you said, um, a deal is good for you know just short of a quarter million people. Um, which is really what this is all about. We'll see what happens and what gets passed. The clock is ticking. Indeed. Andy, um, is there anything coming up with Let's Fix This? Do we have any Do we have any uh, events on the horizon? That's right, Scott, there is. Uh, so a couple of things real quick before we wind down here. 
Don't forget, next Friday, November 3rd, is Bourbon, our fundraiser. You have to come. Scott is such a bully. I'm um, not a... It's, it's buns and bourbon. Like, who doesn't like buns and bourbon? That sounds inappropriate. I like it. Um, so here's... I, I just heard it the way you heard it. <laughs> who doesn't like Asian steam buns prepared by Chef Che and bourbon? He's not actually a chef, though. He's, he's coming to this restaurant business. It's like secondary to him. What do you call him? Cook Che? Owner? Owner? Daniel? 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 Yeah. So anyway... Um, so if you'd like to attend our fundraising event, we've uh, we've been able to decrease ticket prices um, thanks to some of our generous sponsors. So it's uh, Friday, November 3rd from 7 to 9 p.m. It's in the Paseo District, and that's the first Friday art walk. Several legislators will be there. So if, if, you, if you want to meet with legislators, if you, want to, if you want to meet some of these folks and you don't want to do it in the context of the Capitol Rotunda, you don't want to do it in their office when there's roll calls going on overhead – you're nervous about talking to them in that kind of a quote-unquote formal setting, um, come meet them here. Yeah, it's a uh, good time. It'll, it'll be, we'll have a pretty diverse crowd. It should be a good time. Um, so tickets are on sale on our website, letsfixthisok.org. Um, and you can get them there. There's a pop-up and a little banner for you to see that there. We would love to see you there. Um, also next week, we have a couple of other events. Um, no, excuse me, it's the week after. So also the week after Bourbon, um, the first full week in November, we have a couple of events on Tuesday, November 7th. We have an event called Gearing Up for 2018. It is Let's Fix This and uh, Oklahoma Watch and Women Lead Oklahoma. Uh, we're going to be talking about what to expect from 2018 uh, as we go into the next legislative session. Uh, the nihilist part of me wants to say nothing good, right. but the yeah. let's fix this part of me knows that there's always hope. Always hope. So um, we're going to talk about how some issues like education and a few other things that have components in the local, the state, and the federal level. We'll talk about how you can get involved in those levels. And then on Thursday, November 9th, uh, we're going to have a our second West Wing watch party, which I know Scott's excited about. I can't come. I'm so devastated. Oh, we're going to be we're going to be out of town, but you you guys have to come. It's a free event. It'll be at the Wheeler uh, Ferris wheel. Uh, God willing, it'll be cold, comfortable, but not frigid. I'm always comfortable when I watch the West Wing. Well, there's that. Um, so anyway, November 7th, the what to expect in 2018 at the Paramount in Oklahoma City. And then the West Wing watch party at the Wheeler Ferris Wheel, or Wheeler District, uh, on November 9th. And again, Bourbon on November 3rd. Tickets available. Let's fix this. Okay.org. You can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Fix This Okay. Andy, me, I'm at AndyOKC on Twitter. Scott. I'm at I'm at S C Melson on Twitter. That's M like Mary, not N as in Nancy. Right. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash let's fix this okay. Our website, as I mentioned earlier, is let's fix this okay.org. And you can in addition to buying tickets to Bourbon, you can sign up for our newsletter, read our blog, read some photos, and find details about other upcoming events like the ones we've mentioned and resources uh, and all that there our podcast is edited and produced by scott and me and we are a member of the mostly harmless media network our theme music is 
provided by local heroes, your friends, and mine, the Sugar-Free All-Stars. As a reminder, Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to advocate, or excuse me, strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage in their government. We encourage you to get involved in any way you can, and remember, decisions are made by those who show up, 